All right. Well, I am here with the death metal guy on a cold pre-solstice night to interview a band we last spoke to, or I last spoke to, in the summer of 2021, which feels like a long time ago now. Uh, when I spoke to them, they were Cromlech. Now they have been, uh, through blood and fire, reborn again as Mormagill, the Kingsfield of epic heavy metal. Uh, members of Mormagill, uh, mighty hails to you, and could you please introduce yourselves for our listeners? Uh, hails right back at you. I'm uh, Roman, guitar, vocals, and uh, songwriting for uh, X Cromlech and now Mormagill. I'm uh, Kevin, a vocalist, primary songwriter for everything we've ever done. <laughs> Thanks for having us on. <laughs> oh no, we're starting already. Yep. Next, next member. All right. Uh, how about how about the bassist? Uh, yeah, Brandon Hales. Uh, yeah, play bass, uh, and I co-write all the songs with Kevin. <laughs> And uh, last but not least, I'm Jake. I do nothing but play <laughs> drums and drink beer. <laughs> that was, damn, perfect. That was that was exquisite. That pop Wait, that, was that, that sounded was, like was a something. cork. What was a uh, well, what only was the that? finest what? champagne? Nice, nice, nice. No, it's a homebrew <laughs> beer. Hinge bottles. Yeah, it's a hinge bottle. Home. Some homebrew, a beer that didn't turn out that good, but it's got alcohol, so. That's all I need. Being there. <laughs> Spoken um, like a true Canadian heavy metal legend. Yeah, you gotta brew it at home because you can't get you don't want to get it from the government store. So <laughs> the, um Alright, so basically when when we last spoke, uh you were Cromlech and you were on the on the ascending path to your second and sort of definitive statement, Ascent of Kings which came out finally earlier this year. And then it was this titanic effort. When we last spoke to you, you had been recording it and finessing it for like seven years and performing it in various places. And I think the writing in some ways was even older. Uh, that finally came out. And then when we might have expected it to like transition into you know the new era of Cromlech, uh, suddenly, Cromlech is sort of um, Cromlech uh, burns on its pyre and rises anew. So, could you explain to us exactly what has happened? Well, basically, we spent yeah, as you said, a lot of the songwriting goes back pretty far. I mean, there are parts of Turambar that go back to 2013, 2014, mm -hmm. uh, specifically the middle of the song. And even Kevin's vocal lines there, not just like the riffs and the drums and everything oh, wow. else. So, uh, so some of those melodies have stayed, those melodies and lyrics have stayed the same since that point. So it's been a very long and laborious process. And we did a lot of fine tuning along the way. We did a lot of uh, refinement. We added things, took things away, changed things. Um, it was it was really a long process. And the <laughs> the prep for recording was pretty intensive right there just laying down all the uh, all the ghost tracks and everything and then eventually recording the music itself 
and it was it's you know it's a long process because we all are well i mean heck you know we're we're in our 30s uh you know kevin's got a family uh jake's you know got one too and you know it, it takes like uh and baron as well and it's like it it takes time to get everybody together uh, to make it out to practice regularly, especially if you know you got to travel distances to do it, and the fact of the matter is that uh, that really stretched out the length of the recording process. And then, well, we'll, we'll get onto the the mixing and production process after that. But uh, it was uh, it, needless to say, it was it was it was a long time period. I I actually was handling it a lot better than. Uh, Brennan and Kevin, right there, they were they were dying during the mixing. <laughs> they, they were was it like, was it was the mixing a battle between the members uh, of Crown? Oh, oh, uh, that's why we split up. I don't think we were arguing between ourselves that much. No, uh, not particularly. No, just no. Behind your, just behind your back. Oh yes, that's right. Yes, well, <laughs> jo- jokes on you. I was the one that went out there at the end, so <laughs> it was all my final product. So, <laughs> so okay. So the mixing yeah, was done. a pain in the ass. Yeah. But yeah. so so you but, release uh, the record and then yeah. you transform. Yes. Yes. So you know we re- we released the record and then we, you know, we're like we got to do a show because we haven't done a show in forever and you know we had everything on hold uh because of the mixing and the recording process and the, and, the, and all of that and like we were i'm like okay let's get back into gigging let's get back into practicing uh and we finally managed to after some time book that show back during uh, last summer which was an awesome show it was a fantastic show it was everything a Cromwell show should have been and could have been uh <laughs> definitely and easily the best show we've ever played um you know really just to to get into to to not get into it too much, I mean, uh, you know, after a certain point, uh, Baron decided that he didn't want to continue with the project anymore. Uh, you know, I think uh, distance, family, other things like that. And, well, you know, he, he's he been our, you know, our friend or battle brother for a long time. And it, it uh, you know, it was, it was definitely not easy hearing that at the time, but we... Yeah. Just, we all resolved that we wanted to keep going on after that. So uh, we continued and we decided that, you know, since Baron was the official founder of the band, mm-hmm. uh, there was no way we could continue under the original name. Uh, so we had to basically reforge the uh, the moniker, as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the, the blade that was broken shall be forged again. Speaking of which, <laughs> name, of the, name of the band, please explain. Oh, okay. That's an interesting one right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, it's because we were going on and on about names, trying to figure out what we wanted to call the new project, and we just we couldn't settle on anything. That uh, at first we were even thinking about harkening back to, uh, well, one of the old demo names, and what's going to be a instrumental track on the next album. We were going to call we were going to call the band Ancestral Doom. But then mm-hmm. everybody's like, ah, oh, too many ties to, uh, you know, the old yeah. Cromlock name right there. And yeah. we just kept thinking and thinking and thinking, going through, well, you know, Kevin and I are very much into the Tolkien mythos and everything involving Tur and Turinbar. So I'm, I'm like, I have to do the, I have to name it after the Black Sword of Turin. And so I right. picked Mormigil. Now, the funny thing is Mormigil's not even actually the proper name. It's, uh, it's Gerthang. It's Gerthang. But Mormigil is the moniker that uh, that Turin is given when he's in Nargrathond and uh, sallying forth doing it, his raids on the orcs. Of it's Morgoth his elf name. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, is, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I forget if it's that's a cin- that's a cinder in name. Yeah, but it, it means black sword. Cool. Uh, so it kind of came out to the same deal anyway. So mistakenly, I thought that was the name of the sword at the time, but it ended up being a great name anyways, and we just all kind of clicked on it. I think uh, Kevin was pretty into it almost immediately. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, you guys, I probably told you guys this already, but Terminus is also named after a sword right, from the uh, Terminus Est from the Gene Wolfe Book of the New Sun. Oh, okay. Uh, not as familiar with that. Oh, you guys <laughs> but, would uh, like it. So, oh, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, anyway, so, uh, I don't know, death metal guy. Uh, where else? Any, any other sort of bio stuff we should talk over before we get into uh, revisiting Ascent of Kings from the other side? Uh, I, I guess just uh, broadly, I'm, I'm sure that we're going to talk about the new incarnation more in a little while, but I think off the cuff, just for the listeners, um, you know, you're coming from the legacy of Karamlek, which has you know a, a lot of weight behind it. Um, do you guys think of Mormagil as like a, a direct continuation, like sonically or artistically, or are, are you guys trying to pivot into something a little bit different now? Uh, there's certainly no intention to pivot in a different direction. It's essentially a continuation of Cromlech. Uh, we're, you know, we will end up playing Cromlech material live. We sure. are going to, uh, we're, we're, we're working with the material that we were writing before the, uh, before the split happened. Uh, so that's all going to, that's all going to keep going. That being said, I mean, it, it will naturally happen that, I always had a strong dislike for side projects because I felt that everything you want to say musically should be a... You should be able to say it in one band. Like, classical composers didn't have side projects. <laughs> they just they just wrote music, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, but the, my exception to that has always been when I'm working with somebody else on something, that brings a different dynamic to things. Uh, you know, they influence you differently, and that's when a side project can be justified, and that's why I joined Cromwell in the first place because, you know, Baron was kind of like this other influence on how I was doing things and uh, I honestly is in my songwriting it it really changed a lot because of him you know I I grew to uh, appreciate and do much more visceral or conventional things than I otherwise would have done strictly into oblivion Uh, so I guess what I'm trying to say by that is that because Baron's no longer in the band I think that at you know I guess the ghost of his presence will always be there but um, yeah, he's not going to be there presently as an, inf- as an influence on anything that I'm doing, so that will naturally just kind of change how the sound is going to come out. But it's growing out of Cromwell anyways, so the next album is going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> I think that, um, if I may for a second, just as kind of as the main songwriter... Yes. I think just someone I, who's... I defer uh, to you. Right. Yeah, thank you. As uh, someone who's kind of sitting back and watching the songs develop, I think that um, things are a little bit more melodic. Um, I, I could be wrong about that, but when I listen to what Roman's producing and uh, the videos they send and the, the audio files, I always think, wow, this is, you know, Roman really embracing a sense of melodicism. Um, mm-hmm. Not to say that there wasn't melody in, in Cromwell-like stuff, but I think it is a little bit different. So, uh, yeah, that's my, my two cents in that. Let's hear from uh, Brandon and Jacob about that. They've been they've been so quiet. <laughs> My sweet boys. They're asleep. 
What do you want to know about the recording process? About the uh, transition to Mormigill? drunk. Yeah, like, uh, Jacob and Brenda, how do you guys feel about uh, how the new material is shaping up and how it relates uh, back to the old Cromlech material? Yeah, I fully agree with Roman. I was about to just right off the bat say, like, yes, I do think we're a direct continuation of Cromlech following in the legacy. Um, like Roman said, yeah, the direction might change when we have we have a different guitarist now with us. Um, so he'll bring different influences to the table, different techniques, I guess. Um, yeah, I think that I like for me, I think the spirit like the spirit lives on. Um, but yeah, there'll definitely be a little bit of a difference just naturally because of uh, Baron not uh, not being in the band anymore contributing. But the, the spirit lives on regardless. Who, who's the new guitarist? Okay. Is that a part of your existing circle? Oh, you'll find out. Uh, I only have two Ooh. words. For you. Yeah, we have two, two words. Two words. Samurai cop. Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> two words. So the guy Dave from Dave Mustaine. <laughs> Yosuke from Nuclear War Now. Yes, okay, wow. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll, you'll see. You'll see. It all it all makes sense when it's all tied together. All right. All right. <laughs> So uh, with that, yeah, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Ascent of Kings, a a record that probably provoked uh, some of the most intense debate we've ever had on yeah. Terminus, um, with a with a, a a saucy role reversal that probably a lot of the listeners didn't anticipate. Where um, I was super enthusiastic, and the black metal guy was a little bit more critical about it. Um, I still think it's uh, one of the best records of the year. I, I really treasure that record. Um, and then uh, Black Metal Guy, you said you've been revisiting it a little bit lately? Yeah, well, I mean, I wanted to re-listen for this and, you know, also at a different time in my own life. Um, the uh, I think I, I'm, when we reviewed it, I knew I would... It, it was obvious there's so much on Ascent of Kings that um, despite my criticisms I, I think I, I would I've been I'm I was I, I was even then I was willing to like sit with it and see how how it would change over time if that makes sense right like mm -hmm. there was there was a lot to ponder there so maybe some of the things I I thought about it initially would turn out to not you know to have been wrong or just to not matter as much or I hear new sense in it over time so I've been I've been going back to it I don't have any definite verdict yet but you know as I said back then, I was sort of trying to, uh, I wanted to, um, I wanted to press Cromlech hard on it out of my respect for them as artists, uh, but at the same time, it's obviously a tremendous feat in its own right, whatever complaints I have about it, right? So it's, uh, and, and, um, you know, yeah, so I've been going back to listening to it, enjoying it more, I think, but I don't want to make any, like, final pronouncements or whatever. But yes, it was divisive, mm -hmm. and we we had it out, and it was it was good sport. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so the longest you review we've ever of... done. Still, it was like a six-hour review, man. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you talk about a record that's two hours long? It's, uh... <laughs> so, would you say that you have a list of grievances about the record? <laughs> um, I, I, I think the grievances were were aired then. I assume that you guys have a list of grievances about the grievances. Yeah. Well, uh, 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 no, I don't. I, I I agree with you. The album's terrible, man. 
Oh. Brandon, <laughs> Brandon, Brandon thought it was going to be a failure from the beginning. Yeah. No, I, I, every time I played the bass, I, I said, man, the black metal guy's going to hate this. This rules. <laughs> uh. Well, so so in the wake of the laborious process to actually get the record across the finish line, was the uh, upon getting to the completed product, was it just like a, a final like sigh of relief just to finally have the fucking thing yes. done? Or, yeah. I, or I did my like drum tracks. Questions about it. I did my drum tracks in like three <laughs> days. I had to wait for these guys to finish right. two years. <laughs> this was really, which is, to, to be All perfectly right, so. honest. Oh, okay, Kevin, go ahead. I will take full credit for the fact that I added about eight or nine months of recording time to this just because I don't live in Toronto, uh, mm. and I have to commute, and I have mm. a family. Okay. So finding time to come out and do two hours of recording uh, wasn't always an easy thing to do. So I would say my vocals took, I mean, in terms of time, maybe 20, 23 hours, Roman. But I would say over the course of months, it was maybe six to eight months of me coming down every other Saturday and putting my parts down. So I definitely was part of the problem here. <laughs> oh, and, and here's oh, the other that's... thing, too. It was like it was very much like, you know, we we obsessed over every like line and syllable and everything like that so like while he yeah. was here like he was <laughs> he, he like we were riding him while he was here man <laughs> yeah. it's like however it's funny with that said of all the recording processes that i've been through this was definitely the most comfortable like ave mortis was you know i went in there and i'm like what am i doing i have no clue what's going on and Roman just staring at me with like these giant eyes like i'm gonna kill you if you don't hit this note and it was a little bit better for iron guard however i will say with iron guard i think i had to re-record all the vocals because roman was like no this is you don't sound like you're singing enough so i had to redo the vocals for that with him staring at me you know so that was really uncomfortable I'm myth and stigma was a little bit better because i think i wrote a, some of the vocal melodies for for myth and stigma but so by the time I got to this record, I was like, yeah, I really got to relax. And it was a lot of laughter. But I mean, you guys rode me and made sure that things were proper, were, you know, they were good. But uh, it was definitely the, the best recording process that I'd been through. But I never want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I will take full credit for the fact that I'm uh, very bad at creating a hostile work environment for Kevin. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we all progressed as musicians by Roman's glare that we fear. Oh man, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not not maybe in the way some people are, but I am. I, I am a bit of a ridiculous perfectionist in what I expect sometimes. So, uh, <laughs> well, you know yeah. what? It pushes us to be better. So I wouldn't be the vocalist I, I am today if it wasn't, you know, for you pushing me. So, oh, oh okay. Well. Don't don't worry. I'm gonna bully you more next time. Oh, last wow. time, last time we <laughs> talked about how for listeners who didn't listen to the last interview, which they should, uh, some of the context for this is that in the past they um, forced Kevin to hit such a high note that he uh, damaged his vocal cords. <laughs> That's okay, true. so <laughs> al almost al al almost true, almost true. It was when we were covering uh, Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, live. Yes. Or, uh, or maybe I don't. I don't even think we played. No, it was in the jam space. No, you never played that live. Oh, yeah, brutal, right. brutal. Oh, yeah, yeah, it didn't go well. Oh yeah, there was that incredibly high note in the verse of that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that set me back about I'd say almost six weeks, six to eight Oof. weeks. So was, uh, <laughs> thanks a lot. We had to settle for a national acrobat cover instead. 
<laughs> Which one? <laughs> I just I, I thought that was a Metal Archives reviewer. So it was a, for, for comparison, I, I remember uh, during uh, when we were recording Iron Guard, it was Lair of Doom. Uh, Kevin, do you remember the line? Oh, I don't. It was. Uh, it I was, know what you're was, talking about. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, it was Venomous Thief. Oh yes. Oh yeah, and it took like 48 <laughs> takes or something like that. <laughs> Dude, you were, you were you were getting so mad. <laughs> yeah, that happens once in a while. <laughs> One Kevin gets mad once in a while. No. Once in a while. Yeah, and we can't forget we can't forget bondage. Oh no. Oh yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to oh, sing. No. Yeah. Shout that, out that, that the was trying to sing bondage. Yeah. There's always like one part of a song or one part of a record that for whatever reason it just can't do it. Oh, we're talking about the the part in Tour Bar Roman you had mentioned earlier today. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the middle section there, and I've tried to hit this part. I hit it in the studio pretty pretty easily, I'd say. But I would try to do it live, and I remember storming out of the studio and like slamming the door because I just couldn't hit it when it, in the context of a, of a live session with the guys. And even now, I still can't do it. Roman has to do it live and has to do it in practice. So, which is great because it's pressure off me. So, yeah, there we go. So, I mean, for for you know for the uh, you know for reference sake, it's that one part in Turinbar where in the where when you guys were discussing the album. You were mentioning where yes. it sounds like Kevin is like straining at the upper range of his lip, yeah. which which he is. Yeah, uh, yeah, toward the end. Yeah, yeah, that part he recorded it very easily in the studio. But I'll tell you right now, yeah, exactly. Uh, when we tried yeah. to practice that or play that live, that that, that was always like that was a, that was a hard one to do. Yeah, I just too much. There's a lot of there's a lot of lyrics in that part, and trying to make sure I'm breathing properly and having enough left to do that, I just I can't do it live. So. And you know, if I'm, if I'm being honest here too, and like let's just be sincere about the section, like I don't know, I I know this sometimes from uh, you know performing music in various contexts that like uh, especially singing, uh, if a, if a particular part is very emotional and that part is, it uh, can make it a little bit more difficult to do properly. Yeah. In a live setting, mm -hmm. uh, I think yeah, that that's sure. that's definitely a part of that. Because yeah, you I just feel it's, the it's a mental thing too now. Trying to I've tried to hit it for what eight years now, and I still can't do it. And at this point, I'm just like it's a mental block. Like, forget <laughs> it, Roman. You do it. <laughs> it's it's the uh, no. I, I've had that experience. There's when I play live. Sometimes there's like certain riffs or guitar fills that I'll dread, and I I spend an <laughs> yeah. entire song just dreading that moment, and I yes. usually <laughs> fuck it up yeah. as a result. Yeah, <laughs> I can Actually, relate. That's funny because I think the. Uh, the very first moment when I kick in, when I'm singing, or not after Roman does the whole choir part in the beginning of Samaria, and I kick in afterwards, the timing there, I dread that live. I dreaded starting that at the end when we recorded as well. It was uh, just one of those moments as well that uh, that was hard for me to just get that. I think it was it's like nine and a half beats. I have to. I don't know. It just really. There's a weird. There's a weird pickup there, right? Yeah, it is weird. It's like on a half beat or something, and it. You know, I think I hit it. I hit it in the studio, okay. I had to redo it. I think, Roman, did, I redid that twice or three times to get yeah, that. Yeah, but I, I it's know, not that I know live. Bad. No, it's okay. I mean, yeah. it's, it sounds fine on the record, but I know live. I'm sure I always mess it up. I have no doubt. So, yeah, well, when we play live, we get so swept up in the energy that it kind of doesn't yeah. matter. The mistakes don't matter yeah. at that point. Also, yeah. just quickly on Samaria, I wanted to say, uh, uh, black metal guy, you you talking about that whole section there is sounding like an amoebic song it was actually a really cool reference because I, I was I was completely just 
trying to riff off Celtic Frost and Hellhaber right there, but we all love Amoebix too. And again, Amoebix is like adjacent territory, so that that's a, that's a cool like subconscious influence you picked up on right there. Sick man, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm glad. I figured you guys loved Amoebix too. So yeah. it, they're they're so close to. I mean, in a way, the true heirs of Amoebix all ended up segmented in different genres from Crust. And obviously, Solstice's New Dark Age is one place you go from Amoebix. Oh, one hundred percent. Rich Rich Walker loves Amoebix, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's still a, he's a he he remains a kind of crusty. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. The, it's uh, crazy you think that guy played in sore throat back in the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he he recorded a new one too. Um, just put oh, it okay. out on Bandcamp. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. But anyway, was, so yeah. so getting into the mechanics of the record, then um, one question for you guys would be, and because we were just talking with Kevin about the vocals, um, one thing would be and the relationship between the lyrics and the song structures. Uh, so the, um, I remember for instance, there, there was a riff I complained about a lot on Sumeria, where after that initial Amoebixy section, you light through a series of majestic solstice epic doom passages that sort of spill into one another. And then there's a queen riff. I knew you were going to bring this up. <laughs> well, I knew so, you were going to bring this up. So I was going to bring it up. <laughs> let okay. me preface it. Let me. One thing I want to say on re-listening, I've now realized that if you look at the lyrics, there's a historical shift that happens from the mighty days of yore on the Cimmerian steppe to uh, withered the old gods grown pale and gray, never again for age beneath the sun. It's like the queen riff comes in right before that and does it play some role in punk is is the queen riff like here comes the enlightenment okay so there was never <laughs> there was never an intention <laughs> for us to have a queen riff now, I, I, okay, no, 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 full, no that's full, not true there was okay, it definitely was we so, love so, queen <laughs> so full di full disclosure full disclosure like when i was yeah when i was growing up as a kid i mean i would listen to uh, some early queen and there was like they had uh, there was actually some like pretty cool like prog metal adjacent stuff oh, like I quit uh, the band. like <laughs> like a prophet song and then everybody knows that stone cold crazy was like a proto thrasher like metallica covered that later on uh, but uh, no i was never like a huge queen fan um, so it, okay the time what's the actual timestamp on that because as far as i recall when i was listening to the review that was like after the lyrics had happened and that was during baron's solo i think it's between two sections of the lyrics and oh, okay and i was wondering if there was kind of a word painting significance to it that is oh okay well you yeah. know uh <laughs> there's there's nothing like that because i can tell you 100 percent uh i've never intentionally tried to be influenced by Queen in any of my songwriting. So. Liar. Well, but okay. <laughs> but leaving aside the Queen question, yeah. leaving aside the question of whether and to what extent it sounds like Queen, yeah. the riff, to me, it's it sort of like, to me, the riff sounded kind of weirdly cheery, but also kind of tired. And I, there's a moment in the song, and it comes at the moment where there's a transition from the barbarous steps to then this lament at modernity and being severed from that past. And I thought maybe maybe you were, to what extent were you writing the, the lyrics and the riffs together? How's that? 
a broader oh, okay. question, which can okay. extend to Turambar too. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh, so in Turambar, you're going to have to more ask Kevin a little bit because mm -hmm. uh, the, those lyrics were all his. Oh, but, but so you guys collaborate the um, he collaborate and like write the the song and the riffs. Well, the we do. We together, do. But there, you don't map it. Yeah. Well. Okay. So here's the deal. Like there are certain songs. That, okay. So Kevin wrote all the lyrics to Turambar. That's all his. Uh, I wrote all the lyrics to Samaria. Uh, that's actually probably the only one that I wrote all the lyrics to on this album. Um, and I... So the way that I go about doing, like, writing a song to begin with and then eventually doing the lyrics, you know, whether I'm... I always start with the music first. I always start with the music first. And, you know, I, I have a vision of, like, the imagery and the concept I want to evoke. And then I write the song based off that. And, you know, very often I won't actually start at the beginning. I mean, uh, Turambar started off with that middle section right there that we were just talking about with Kevin. That was like the first part of the song I wrote, I think. Uh, so I just kind of like write around that. Uh, and so in the case of Samaria, like I had this concept of like, I wanted to have this like Conan the Barbarian step warlord like feel. But as I, as I, wrote the song progressively I, when I was doing the lyrics I remember I wrote the lyrics specifically after I'd <laughs> I'd sat down and like I'd had a I'd had a couple of glasses of wine and I'd gotten into a very melancholy mood I remember and I sent these lyrics to Kevin and Kevin's like wow this is like way more melancholy than anything I've ever seen you write before I don't know if you remember that but but I do um, and it just kind of like I guess it was just kind of like whatever the music whatever the music brought forth the lyrics then were trying to bring that even further into relief and I originally wrote all the lines irrespective of the riffs but I mean it's a like a it's an almost 15 minute song right so choosing where to put lyrics became a function of well the riffs that corresponded to those lyrics the best uh, so I, I don't know if that answers your question sufficiently but uh, that would uh, basically walk you through the songwriting and the lyric process right there in Samaria. Yeah, so you had you had a lot of the riffs laid out, then the riffs came to you basically as poetry, or sorry, the lyrics came to you sort of as poetry, as a self-contained unit, and then you worked on matching emotions and textures with the riffs. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and I would pair up certain parts of it with the riffs that I thought it worked with the best uh, in, in the context of the narrative. Right. Well, in that context, in that sort of, and in the context of, um, in that context, I get, I can see, I guess I can see a significance for that riff, which I dislike because it has a dramatic, there's a dramatic significance there. Uh, right? okay. There's like passing of time, decadence, uh, you know, decadence, rationalism, modernity, uh, severance of tradition. Right. And all of this stuff appears as bright and sunny. Um, so, uh, Oh, okay, okay, so actually, well, it depends, it depends, because, you know, uh, I'm obviously, in, in the lyrical imagery of the song, uh, I am playing with uh, themes of both paganism and Christianity, as I'm sure you can see a little bit, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and actually, I mean, to be honest, that's kind of the cover artwork right there, too, you know, it's it's it's, it's Clue Cullen, and it's Cone of the Barbarian, but it's also kind of, you know, the piercing of the crucifixion. Uh, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, so there, there's yeah, so, Longinus and Jesus Christ, yeah. right? Exactly, exactly. Um, and you know, in 
kind of weaving those two themes together and having that kind of same concept, I, I have to be, I have to say that I'm very indebted to Atlantean Codex on that because they very much did the same thing. Uh, oh, in their yeah. Work. Uh, you know, Te Temple of Catholic Magic is a classic one, or uh, Soul Invictus on uh, White yes. Goddess. Yeah, or, or, you know, 12 stars in an Azure gown. So, like, so anyways, uh, that can seem like it's, that, that section can seem like it's like a, a lament uh, of, the, of modernity, but uh, depending on the way you're looking at it, it could be kind of like the transition from paganism to Christianity. Mm. Okay, uh, yeah. So just br bringing that up there. But then later on, the lament is that uh, there's no longer even the paganism. Like, we have the modernity, but we don't even have like you know the solid paganism of like you know Platonic philosophy and a whole bunch of other things like that. Uh, if I'm just giving you a small little window into like the the conception that well, I had for the song, and I think no no longer even the Christianity, right? Well, like, that, exactly. They yes. scorn yes. what you have. Christianity replaces paganism, and then Christianity, at least as I would see it, Protestantism mutates into modernity, right. and then we are left with nothing. Yes, exactly. We have neither. Yeah. We have neither <laughs> the the. The, the beautiful stuff about Christianity, or for that matter, the things that were yeah. good about paganism. That was kind of that was kind of the point. I can hear that That's really. What connect. That song is about. <laughs> uh, yes, there's there's a, a couple of other things it's about too, but uh, um, well, yeah. yeah, you know, uh, yeah. to to, to, to be honest, like you know, the the whole Scythian thing and the step thing is also. Well, I'm Ukrainian, and it's it's mm -hmm. kind of about Ukraine on a certain level. To be right. perfectly honest with you, I, I was gonna say the sort of there's a kind of um to the the integration of pagan and Christian stuff has a very Slavic in general and maybe Ukrainian specifically vibe to it. So that makes sense to me. It's um, had you so, finished those lyrics so before the Ukraine? Sorry, go go, death metal guy. Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, let's continue on this thread, but then I wanted to get into, you know, does this apply to the album as a whole? Is is this record, because we had, you know, spitballed back and forth, you know, obviously this is just because of its scope naturally a sort of conceptual work. Is that the primary impulse, the transition of the pagan past into a sort of secular modernity, or... Does it I, is it I, even I would, more abstract than that? I think I think it's more abstract than that. And to be honest, I think uh, so. We'll, we'll we'll reunite all these concepts together in a few minutes. But uh, <laughs> uh, if if I really need to say what the essence of the album is, you actually nailed it uh, when you did the review, where it's the entire idea of tragedy and like the the lost cause, the noble defeat, the entire idea that the secret of Cromwell is it's not the guy stabbing, but the guy getting stabbed. All that kind of stuff. Oh man, like I that. fucking rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you didn't. Know but but that's no, that's actually that's completely true because like you know, listen, a champ like you know the mighty deeds of a champion or a hero or whatever are all great and fantastic, and nobody would ever say that that's like a wrong thing to uh, to use for edification. But like, what's even more powerful than that is doing the right thing or doing feats of heroism or doing something noble, even knowing that you're going to fail, even knowing that you're going to die. Uh, and like to be honest, that is more than anything to me the central uh, idea of the album. Uh, but uh, mm, okay. But 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 aside from that, and that's that's very that's consolidating it uh, very very shortly and concisely. I mean, we could really. 
go into that at length, but uh, I think uh, you had questions about the uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, so, I mean, at the time when I was writing the lyrics for that, it was like 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. So, the initial stuff that started happening over there. Yeah. So, uh, but but, but uh, none of the very recent stuff that right. happened, obviously. The timing of the record is strange with that then, because a lot of the yeah the lyrics predate the recent stuff, and but then the record comes out kind of just as that war takes an especially tragic turn, right? Um, uh, yeah. Well, you know, in, increasingly as I grow older, I find out that uh, there are no accidents in life. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So in some ways, yeah, there is. You could. The themes of this record transfer to a lot of what's happening in Eastern Europe right now, I think. Um, although, that's not something we need to dwell with at length. Mm-hmm. No. Well, yeah, because it goes beyond that, obviously, because yeah. uh, all good art is supposed to be transcendental and aim at something transcendent and not be confined to time. And even when it is confined to time, it has to echo elements of the eternal. So yes. it, it could completely have, that that could have completely have been irrelevant to the issue, and it still would have been as powerful. Yeah, the art is supposed to illuminate the thing happening in the world, not the other way around. Like, oh my gosh, it's not like, oh my gosh, Ascent of Kings is really about the Ukraine war, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely not about the Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, war. yeah, that's certainly not what we. Not, but but yeah, I like what you say. Cromlech iceberg explained. iceberg. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but yeah. So, for death metal guy, do you have anywhere? I, there are a couple places we. Could, I guess we could start talking more about Turambar now. We could let Ke- Kevin talk about the lyrics Absolutely. and lyrics and music in Turambar. Yeah, I mean Turambar is clearly like the crown jewel of the record. I mean, there's a lot of great moments across the whole thing, but it's a record about getting to Turambar to me. Um. Yeah, I, I can't, uh, as far as the music goes, I mean, Roman kind of intimated earlier that some of the stuff goes back to even when we were recording Ave Mortis, that middle section. Um, I even think that middle section might have been some of the uh, vocal melodies were some of my first ever. Um, I don't write a lot of the vocal melodies, but I specifically remember writing some of the parts in the middle there. Not the higher range stuff that Roman made me forced me to do um but uh, <laughs> well the higher range stuff was just a harmony to what you were already saying it was that, like, yeah yes yeah. yeah i think that's correct um yeah. however so like musically i don't i didn't write any of the music um and it's it, it is interesting that everyone and i've always talked about this a little bit actually um the way that i've wrote lyrics for this if i remember correctly roman you had already known that musically you wanted to write something about Turambar. Uh, and I was reading The Children of Horan at the time, uh, and I wrote the lyrics, and they just seemed to click for whatever reason. Uh, Roman has a knack for being able to just sort of put particular vocal melodies in certain spots, as he mentioned earlier. Um, but the lyrics themselves, I mean, some of these go back to over... I can't even remember writing some of these, to be honest with you. And sometimes I go back and I read this, and I'm like, I wrote this? Like, that's uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> that's a wonderful <laughs> yeah. it is it's it's you know it's kind of surreal in a way going back and thinking oh i don't know how i ever wrote these things um well i, I guess you can tell sort of in some of the lyrics i don't have a like i don't rely on meter or form necessarily a lot of it's just kind of free form 
kind of comes out based on uh, you know whether or not there's something interesting that I've uh, read in a particular text. So when I was reading um, Children of Horan, I think the first line, you know, the, it's you know beneath the starry vault of Arda, and uh, starry vault of Arda is not. I I lifted that from the text and just added things around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that tends to happen a lot. I'll, I'll read something uh, based on what Romans mentioned in terms of what he wants the, uh, the concept of the song to be about. And I'll find a cool, a cool line and sort of build around that. Uh, and actually, um, um, someone, there was another, um, Andre from Into Oblivion actually helped to write some of these lyrics as well, uh, which was interesting because him and I had previously worked on some lyrics that were never... You know, we never uh, publish them, or they know they don't think they end up on any IO stuff or any Chrome like stuff either. But mm. uh, it was cool the fact that him and I could work together on. I think there's about eight, maybe even eight lines, where I, I said to him, hey, "I can't do this, man. I don't know what I'm trying to say here anymore." And he took the lyrics and uh, he twisted them around, and and they came out great. And I think Roman, in fact, uh, they're used as harsh vocals, if I remember. Yeah, scaled wing and yeah. ashen hurricane, soaring piracy to Morgoth's pride. Yeah, yeah. I fear that's actually Andre, if I remember correctly. Which is, yeah, which is pretty Wh- cool. Which member of Into Oblivion is Andre? Is that uh, the vocalist? Okay, that's Viriato. Or yeah, Viriato. Oh, yeah. yeah, cool. Right. Exposed. So. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Sorry, Andre. I mean Viriato. Well, but but it's a, you know it, it it made sense because like the, the two of you guys both tend to have kind of a melancholic tilt yeah. to your writing, you know. Yeah. So you kind of influenced yeah. each other. I think the thing that impressed me the most about Turumbar um, was the way probably the last I don't know maybe the, that sort of like finale there the way oh. the lyrics just worked perfectly with what Rowan had written and I don't even know that I had written the lyrics and had a full scope of what the song was like I think I had finished them maybe even before you were done writing the song and the way they just work so perfectly together um, that seems to happen quite a bit with Rowan and I, I can just kind of write something uh, lyrically and he he takes it and it just seems to work uh, it's providence I guess well it must be yeah well you know I mean, we've been working together on this stuff for a while now. <laughs> we yeah, kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> we, 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 no, it's 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 true. Like, you know, there, there's there's a there's a chemistry that happens over time where you kind of like, you maybe even subconsciously intuit what the other person is doing on a certain yeah. level, and it you know it kind of yeah. comes together like that. And just as an aside, so everybody knows who's listening, um, the lyrics. If you only have a digital copy and you are reading the lyrics on Encyclopedia Talum. Those lyrics are not right. I have spent countless days rereading them and thinking, I'm going to go crazy here. Uh, there's <laughs> lots of mistakes. Lots of mistakes on false keys, born with sword in hand, and Turumbar, you know, uh, lines that are out of place. So Words really, that don't make any sense. The, yeah. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. I don't remember writing any of this stuff. So, well, uh, you know, the thing is, the thing, is uh, the thing is, when you're old and you have dementia, everything's a surprise. So, yeah, it's great. Kevin is surprise. Kevin is Kevin is writing all the lyrics to Turambar on just some enormous scroll. In a sort of a sort of fugue state, I assume. Yes. yes. Well, you see, the reason everything took so long is it had to be recopied by monastic scribes in a Benedictine monastery. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and they had to they had to send someone to procure the red ink. Yes. 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 Indeed. Yeah. Well, Kevin, so, uh, more more broadly. Sure. 
um, in, in terms of your writing process. Uh, I mean, we've heard a little bit about how it's assembled with you collaborating with Roman, but you just as a writer, um, where do you feel your influences really lie? I mean, we've talked about some of the, the material that you're drawing from, you know, like Tolkien, uh, Conan, some of that stuff. But in terms of just your style of prose, where do you think that comes from? Uh, the style itself, I'm not sure. Um, I know the content for each particular song I could definitely speak to. I actually, I'm the one member who, I love the Conan movies, uh, particularly the first one, but um, I was, I'm not a huge uh, Conan guy. That might be shocking to some people. Um, so most of the stuff that I write doesn't have anything to do with Conan. I know False Peace, Total War, uh, a lot of that was based on Ovid's Echologues, um, an inspiration I got from that. Uh, Born mm. with Sword in Hand is actually just a retelling of um, the Song of Roland. Um, and oh, our, okay. Yeah, so now, that, being that said, might add I, some context. To, if, I, uh, if I may just interject quickly about the end please. of uh, Born with Sword in Hand, though, that was the mm -hmm. uh, final battle. That was the final battle speech of uh, Constantine yes. Paleologos at yes. the uh, at the uh, siege of Constantinople. Yes, that's right. Oh, so, okay. but it worked perfectly within the, it worked perfectly within the context of the song. So, uh, and that was yeah, that's right. Roman added that. That was his addition. We just knew yeah. that with that song, there needed to be just one more part. Um, and he came. No, he came with that. It was awesome. If I recall, though, that was at your behest. Like I didn't come up with that idea. You're like, we should add this in. Um, I don't remember. I I think maybe. I don't that's know. That's what I remember. Is that what you, okay? You have a better memory than me, so if that's the case, I'll take the I'll take the uh, credit for that. Well, yeah, it was well, Kev, all me. Kevin, Kevin, you might have old age dementia, but I have alcohol related dementia. So uh, who who knows who's yeah, but, uh, I, memory, <laughs> yeah, but, but I have here. both. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, even uh, and then Turambar, you know, obviously is the Tolkien influence. But I, you know, looking back on some of the older stuff, I didn't write any lyrics on um, on Ave Mortis. Um, Myth and Stigma. I don't remember what my inspiration for that was. And then, what did I write in Iron Guard? Was it just the uh, Iron, Iron Will? Guard? Iron yeah. Will. Yeah, that was just a whole assortment of things. I think I was just reading like you know, old ancient texts and stuff, and uh, you know, a lot of the uh, the Greek poets and uh, the Shilas or uh, Euripides, and they've got lots of stuff in there that just sounds amazing. And it's just a, they're great one-liners, and you can start with this one liner. Or manipulated in a certain way and um, add your own stuff in and kind of kind of sets you off and but actually in terms of like style it's just a free form um, that's actually one thing Baron you and I were discussing before he uh, before he left was he wanted me to do more what's it called Roman alliteration oh yeah he wanted yeah. you to do more alliteration yeah. yeah for sure he was like try some more alliteration but you know um, and I, I actually tried it we have a new song that's you know lyrics are done and a lot of it's done and I tried the alliteration for the beginning of it um, and it just wasn't my style and it didn't come out well and Roman and I just scratched it and uh, we, wrote, we <laughs> rewrote the beginning of it I just think that to do alliteration properly um, you have to be a master at it you can't just be a guy who says I want to put three words that have D at the beginning together and, <laughs> you know death despair doom you know it just doesn't work so well I, that I was I don't know that was pretty tight dude Thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> well, Kevin, Kevin, as we all know, is a, he's an experienced rapper. So, yes, right. yeah. Don't, don't, yeah, don't reveal who I am. Five hundred so, views on YouTube. Um, <laughs> 
doing a doing a collaboration with Bobby Shmurda any day now. Mm-hmm. Um, so more broadly, uh, for for everybody, um, the scope of the record was that something sort of predetermined when you guys first started writing the material, or is that something that congealed as these songs came together? You know, the idea of just this, you know, massive, like, deliberately sort of bloated theatrical 70-minute record. Uh, Is it, like, some songs that got out of hand, or was that the intent to do this, this, this massive defining performance from Square One? To be honest, the the riffs just kind of lead me to where they, they end up going. Like it's 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 kind of like I don't even know. It's 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 just everything happened as it was supposed to happen. There was a every progression of riffs, every uh, change in the song, every key change, everything like that. It to me, it felt like it had to happen. I never predetermined how long a song is going to be. Well, except maybe I, I knew the turn bar was going to be long. I knew the turn bar was going to be long because of the scope of it. And I had a good idea that Samaria probably was going to be two. Now, to the length that they ended up being, no, I never intend to write a 20-minute song, a 19-minute song, a 15-minute song. It just happens that way. Uh, false piece, I mean, to be honest, like that was probably supposed to be shorter than it actually was, but the riffs just kind of, the necessity of the song progression lent it to uh, end up being where it was. Same with Born with Sword and Hith. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a running joke in the band that I can't write a two-minute song. It's like it's, it's impossible for me to write something like under a certain time limit. And, well, to be fair, like I've done it before. Like uh, Into Oblivion had some like short ones back in the day, like uh, Stormcrow and Corpse Legions. That's on the first album. Uh, and even uh, in the case of Iron Guard, we had uh, Unshakable Weapon Thane, which was pretty short as well. But yeah, there's this, there's just the indescribable necessity to the length of the songs. There's no, I don't, I certainly don't try to make it intentionally difficult. That's definitely not what I'm trying to do. It just, I just know how things are supposed to relate on a riff to riff level, and then ultimately tying everything together. And sometimes it takes that amount of time to do it. It's funny you mentioned so, false uh, piece, actually. I was going to chime in there. Um, I know that uh, I oh, was go actually shocked at how short False Peace was because I'm almost certain, in fact, I am certain that there's about a page of lyrics that didn't get used in False Peace because we didn't have a place to put them in. So, write longer songs, Roman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, 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 that's deep down on the Cromlech iceberg, the, the lost page of lyrics to False Peace. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, small... Small thing, but for my own edification, was there anything to the idea that the track list was set up to be like a, a DLP on vinyl? Because this struck no. me as something that was composed of four sides. No, no, I, I never really think about things that way. To be honest, I just figure that okay. if we're gonna if we're gonna release an album, I want to make sure that it's that you're getting <laughs> that basically it's like you're getting what you're paying for out of it. Essentially, it's like if we're gonna release an album, I want to put as much content on it as possible. So uh, there, there was no intention in a strict way to do a double LP. I'm just like, okay, if we're going to do a disc, I want to have it full up. But but if uh, anyone wants to release that, you're welcome to pick up the rights and release it for us. Oh yeah, we, we would. Uh, we would even just five copies, just five yeah. copies. Five copies. We would love somebody to fund, you know, to uh, fund uh, our merchandise, etc. You know, uh, <laughs> we just want five us. shirts and five double LPs. That's all we want. Yeah, that's it. It's a very very <laughs> modest proposal right there. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, that, that I was I was going to ask that too, Death Metal Guy, because I've kept I've tried yeah. to keep thinking of the record in those terms. Uh, um, but um, yeah, so uh, otherwise, I guess then yeah, let's talk more about the. Um, I don't know, like, maybe it doesn't make any sense to get into it on a granular level, because in a way, Roman's kind of already answered this, but one of the, I guess my main um, grievance about the record was the way these songs were structured, which, right. uh, which it to me seemed like, to, I, I guess for listeners to paraphrase my general criticism, I guess I found there's something like formalistic about it, like... There was an interest. You guys were clearly interested in having sophisticated form and structure in the songs, but sometimes to me it seemed like there was an equation of complexity with structure that didn't make sense to me. I wanted to hear at certain times more clearly defined and direct kind of structures. Um, okay. Okay, but, yeah, fair, fair. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember that. Uh, yeah. I remember that commentary. And so the first thing I want to say is actually. Uh, so I, I mean, regardless of uh, your your views on the whole, on the whole album, I did want to say that the assessment of it showed that you listened to it very in depth, and that that was that was awesome. Like the fact that you like you know, gave it the time and the attention necessary to actually make an assessment of it was uh, not many people do it that way. There are reviews out there that I'm like, what the heck are you listening to? Whereas like you know, uh, <laughs> you you made a clear effort to to listen to the album and assess it properly. Uh, that being said, uh, the council has uh, decreed that you will be wedged, swirled, and then stuffed in a locker uh, for your for your, for your opinions on the whole thing. Uh, uh, particularly, particularly saying things like opera opera is gay. Uh, I think I remember you saying something like that, uh, minus Wagner, uh, but uh, which I wouldn't actually agree with because I think there's other good opera. I think you were comparing some of the stuff we were doing operatically to. Uh, to uh, Wagner and the Ring Cycle, and actually, I also and the rest of us actually also really like stuff outside of the Ring Cycle too. I mean, we've seen Tristan and Isolde and Siegfried and a bunch of other ones. Uh, <laughs> heck, actually, uh, maybe later we can get to uh, uh, Jake saw a handle opera once. Okay, uh, mm. you re you remember which one I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's a, there's a funny si side story about that right there. Just uh, do honestly. Modern modern opera companies. I don't know what they're doing with the with the their yeah, setting was, in terms of costumes and sta stage pieces. Like the music is the music, right? But like, uh, never mind. Uh, anyways, uh, but, but yeah. So anyway, I wanted to hear your reply. Your and I got. I, I figured that was coming. But what more? How would you explain the way you structured these? I mean, essentially, the way the way I structure everything goes down to like I. As I said before, I start off with a concept of what I want the song to evoke, generally speaking. And sometimes, like, that's a little more grandiose, and sometimes that's a little more simple. Like, False Peace Total War, I just wanted to write a thrasher. Like, <laughs> straight up. That That's what it was. Uh, but by that same token, I wanted to... I did want to have the false doom start at the beginning. Uh, and uh, do a couple of things like that. Uh, and you know you get into Samaria and Turnbar and there's already like more of like a broad conceptual thing that I'm trying to go through go for uh, Patria definitely had a, a concept in mind before I wrote that as well and then once I have that concept in mind I just start writing riffs and then 
I think to myself, okay, where does this riff end up fitting in most? And, you know, typically speaking, I end up writing towards the middle of the song and then branching out from there, which may seem kind of weird, but uh, when Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, like the first imagery he had was that of the Black Rider uh, seeking out uh, the hobbits. Mm-hmm. And like he just built the whole thing around that. Uh, so it's it's not like the, the most atypical ideal in, in terms of writing things. Uh, but uh, but yeah, that's that's essentially how things okay. kind of go. And like I don't know, like I, I, I go riff to riff, and I, I definitely listen. I, I definitely like using contrast between riffs. There's no question about that. And some of the things you were talking about, like you know, drawing back at certain points or whatever. I think uh, it's it's uh, drawing back is kind of necessary sometimes for the uh, the progression of the song because you, you I don't know you can't have like an eight minute or. 20 minute or 15 minute song like you know a song that's fairly lengthy you can't have one that's just like on 10 the whole way through it's uh it just you know it just ends up becoming a white noise at a certain level so you do need to draw back go forward etc um there honestly at the end of the day i do know some music theory but my music theory mainly comes from things that uh it mainly comes from me having learned that there are names for the things i already do Right, <laughs> uh, it's like it's the, like the oh yeah, classic metalhead music theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like oh oh yeah, that's a fifth, and that's a fourth, and that's a third, mm-hmm. and that's like uh, obviously there there are broader ideas like you know counterpoint and the, the way and, and song structure and things like that that are you don't need to know too much about music theory to understand them. But uh, yeah, we're not really like most of us are not really tutored musicians, and if we okay. and if any music theory we know has really come as an after fact. Okay, so to get more concrete about it then, yes, for yes. listeners, um, so examples of songs written from the middle, I think Turambar sounds like the go-to for that, right? Yeah. And so there's this just absolutely glorious section in the middle from about seven minutes to ten minutes that has the uh, Kevin punishing vocal performance. Uh, <laughs> and the um, and then probably during the review, I think I probably said, why doesn't the song just end there? But the interesting thing about it is it keeps going. And listening back to it, I do appreciate that more. You have the, the, the middle of, it's written, the song's written out from the middle, which is this massively climactic moment. And then instead of just like doing a falling action like into oblivion or just wrapping it up like most other bands would, you just start thrashing. And out of that, there, uh, out, and out of the thrash, there's like another theme that starts to coalesce, which almost sounds like a death thrash version of one of the themes from the Lord of the Rings movies. The for legal reasons, I cannot confirm or deny that uh, assessment. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, uh, it, it actually wouldn't even make sense because uh, that theme is well allegedly. Allegedly, that would be the Mordor theme, uh, and this is all stuff that's happening in the first age. But uh, you know, uh, that's all my lawyer has allowed me to say about the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> well, okay, so why? Did, what gave you the feeling that the song needed to keep going from that Im- immensely climactic middle section? Was it something about the lyrics, or just gut feeling that now, now we got to have Turin get out there and kill some dudes? It just felt like it wasn't done, to be honest. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about that because. The finale on Turnbar is one of, quite frankly, it's one of the 
it's one of my proudest moments, musically speaking, at all. And it's definitely one of the best performance. It, it is probably the best vocal performance Kevin has ever done. It's just like it, it's 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 the peak of everything we've wanted to do as as a band so far. Uh, so I'm glad that it came to that point. To to be honest, on a on a more gut level, I just felt like before that the song was very slow to mid paced, and I wanted to ratchet up the intensity for a bit just to, you know, balance it out. You know, it's like a lot of the riffs at that point had been relatively, you know, pentatonic, conventionally melodic, and I wanted to mm -hmm. throw some chromatic stuff in there to balance it out. Is uh, that would be my uh, gut assessment of it. Um, and it, it, it ended up, you know, that, that part is that part is good, but really it's more, it's most important is being a, a transition to the stuff that happens at the end. Right, and so at the end, is that what you're describing as the finale of the song? Yes. Or the, okay, so you're saying, yes, the, the vocal performance there, that it can sound kind of like a falling action thing, but Kevin is giving it all he's got there also. Again, yes, yeah, I, it's... Um, he just has to. It's like the, the part demands it. That's that's. It, it's funny because yeah, it's not a falling action. It's actually one of the most intense moments on the album in a certain way. Uh, yeah. The only way in which it's a falling action is like okay, yeah, it's probably also one of the slowest parts on the album. But that doesn't really detract from its intensity at all. Um, yeah, I was kind of it, like. It, it transfers weight to the vocals, maybe. The guitars are doing more of a supporting role, and it, a lot of the weight falls on the, um, uh, the declamation, the vocals. Yes, I think that's a, that's a very accurate assessment. Okay, so, so yeah, so that makes sense. Let's think about another one with like weird structural decisions. So you're saying False Peace, Total War, that's a thrasher. It sounded yeah. to me like that song sort of like there were two songs sort of sutured together there. Is that an accurate assessment, or did you want to just do a sharp discontinuity because you thought that would be heavier? Uh, well, again, sometimes I do sharp discontinuities for the sake of contrast. Sure, uh, sure. You know, so that's definitely a thing yeah. that I do. Uh, I don't try to rely on that, but I definitely do it. Uh, if you go through that, there are melodic themes that tie the whole thing together, though. It's mm -hmm. definitely like it's, it's not meant to just be like a bunch of riffs that happen and I wrote a song. Mm -hmm. there, there, there's a unity between what's in there, um, you know, from the beginning to the end. So no, no, it's definitely not two songs sutured together. Uh, I mean, heck, on a certain level, the uh, the slash is in there in the song title just because I thought that looked cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you do you have to pronounce it? False peace slash total war. Well, <laughs> it's more metal. Yes, it's, um, I, I, I never do, but it looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it comes out to. Um, but, which, I mean, to be honest, at the end of the day, I think that's one of the, might be one of the ultimate reasons why anybody ever does slashes or brackets or parentheses or both in a song title, just because mm. it kind of just kind of looks cool. You know, aside from, yeah, yeah, absolutely right there, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, death metal guy. You have anything about the structures or any other aspects of the guitar-based writing? Uh, not especially. Roman's done a really good job, sort of explaining his process. I, I guess I'm. Uh, I guess I'm really interested in um, a, sort of a broader question about the creation of the record, which is, uh, I mean, we. It, it feels to me that on a record of this scope, there has to be um, a, a sort of a bracketing concept to it. 
you know, and we, we've talked about it thematically, but I, I mean also musically. Um, so would you characterize this Roman as something that is deliberately operatic? I know that we were, we were talking about your interest in that kind of music and that sort of production. Um, I, I guess what I'm saying is, do you feel that this is a record that aspires to this loftier sense of being a, a, a very whole uh, self-contained epic or do you still personally see it as just a, a collection of thematically linked uh, compositions? Hmm. Okay, so it's interesting because the distinction between those two things can be a pretty fine one, to be honest. You know, as mm -hmm. soon as we're linking things thematically, uh, there, there can be this entire concept of a, of a broader, more operatic linking of everything together. But uh, I guess what I would say is, like, we're always trying to aspire for... You know the, the the highest the heights that we can that we can reach, no matter what. And the thing is that what, was there a deliberate attempt to make this kind of uh, into this more operatic kind of thing? And all I can say to that is we wrote the songs and then eventually I arranged them. I arranged the the track list and even over time wrote the songs a little bit to reflect a, a unifying concept between them all. Uh, so, for example, one of the riffs in Patria, the, the final riff in Patria, uh, is just a different version of the riff at the end of Turambar. Uh, it's mm -hmm. the exa exact same uh, exact same melody. It's just like it's played as like a more of a chuggy chord riff as opposed to like a dual guitar doom riff. So there was definitely a concept of having you know uh, unity between the songs on some level, though it's not like oh yeah, and then like Patria going into Born with Sword in Hand, the I wrote, so Baron wrote the first couple riffs with Born and Sword in Hand, and I deliberately made some of the riffs in Patria echo that. It was mm. really supposed to be an intro to Born and Sword in Hand. Um, and live, we would always play those two together that way. Um, but, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> hey, Kevin, have we talked before about the, the, the intro to Patria uh, on, on, a, on a podcast? I don't think so. Maybe you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Remember? Okay, you know, remember how you weren't you didn't know that Patria had a three minute intro? Oh yeah, that's right. Okay, go on. Yeah, so <laughs> I remember you know the album's taking forever to come out, and uh, we sit down one day. I think it's Roman and I, and uh, I think I'm in the studio, you know, about to lay some lyrics down. And they're like, oh, listen to, uh, listen to the beginning of Patria. And this acoustic guitar starts up. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is nice. And a couple minutes go by. And then Patria, that I know, kicks in. And I'm like, wait a minute. We're waiting for this record to come out, and you literally just wrote a three-and-a-half-minute acoustic intro into this song? <laughs> I had no idea that this ever existed. So, so Kevin was... I heard it... <laughs> Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. He was convinced that the entire album had been delayed because I stopped the album to, like, record a three-minute intro that hadn't existed before. <laughs> the intro to the intro is true, Bathory. That's right. Oh, there we go. Um, so the funny thing is I we'd actually played it live a few times, but Kevin forgot. Surprise. I don't remember that. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
I swear there's a video of it somewhere, man. That's all I'm going to tell you. No way. I, I don't believe it. I don't well, believe it. Well, another one played it in the studio, man, when we've practiced. I, I, remember, I remember us just standing yeah. there looking at each other while he played it. Really? So, so that's yeah. a question. Right. How do the instrumentals fit in? So part of the, the pacing, right, in terms of creating this, taking the existing tracks and sculpting them into this overarching whole, uh, how do the instrumentals work in the pacing and how do they work live? Do you have Kevin just harass the uh, crowd throughout the entire live, instrumental? No, live is the best because it's like 15 minutes of just instrumental. I can catch my breath, go grab a beer, and usually I just hang out in the crowd with whoever's there and, you know, we headbang together. So that, I love the instrumentals. Yeah. They, they don't make fun. you, they don't make you carry a torch or anything, you know. Conduct <laughs> the mean Kevin just lock eyes. Man. Listen. <laughs> yeah, I just stare at Brandon. I just lock eyes with him. <laughs> Used to wave a flag, as I remember that, the flag, but we've lost the flag. Much as, uh, much as Kevin is uh, very often compared to Nemtheonga, he is not actually Nemtheonga. Uh, That's true. Although we're both Irish. <laughs> yes. There's a lot of similarities, actually, but. Uh, um, Regardless of that, yeah, yeah, actually, it's cool. Yeah, he gets into the crowd and he just kind of like hypes them up, and it's it's it's, it's actually perfect. The, the only thing, obviously, is that uh, certain parts of instrumentals, like for example, the when we play Patria live, we almost always just skip the three minute acoustic intro because See? there's just yeah, that's that's why Kevin <laughs> thought that there was no intro there for a while because he forgot the one time we played it in Oshawa, uh, but uh, Oshawa, yeah, how would I ever remember that show? Yeah, that's uh, well. That's that's a, that's a good question, Kevin. Is there, uh, it's a, okay. Memorable okay, moments. it sounds like there's a story there. We need to hear it. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, you know, like uh, uh, yeah. Oshawa was Oshawa was pretty good. I remember that was the first time we premiered Samaria, I think. Yeah, uh, and we were wearing the Knights Templar. That was the Halloween. show. It was a Halloween yeah, was a ho- show. So and we, there was a, yeah, and there was a bunch of members of the Star Wars expanded universe uh, at the show. <laughs> yes, yeah, <so> because <laughs> because it was a Halloween show. The, there was a guy that looked like he was he wasn't trying to be Darth Maul, but he looked like he was Darth Maul. Uh, and 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 then there was Don't, a guy that people in the Toronto scene will know who we're talking about. Yes, and then there was a guy that looked like he had the death sentence on him in Twelve Systems, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyways it's just like yeah it's it, it was a little bit funny because like yeah there's all this random Star Wars themed stuff that seemed to be popping out of the night and uh, and aside from that yeah obviously well we uh, probably got a little bit drunk and, uh, and yeah we were it was one of those temp- shows where um, one of the few shows I think Rochester and Oshawa were the only show where I was able to uh, stay the night and not have to drive home so that made for good times <laughs> <laughs> so, I just remember that show so there's this one uh, Jake, oh, I was just going to say this really funny anecdote from that Oshawa show. There's this one obnoxious drunk guy who was trying to rile the crowd up and start a mosh pit when, like, the first act oh, yeah. was up. And so no one else was feeling it. And then Kevin just grabbed him by the throat and threw him onto someone's table. And then there's just like, a bunch of women <laughs> sitting at the table drinking beer. And just, all the beer glasses, all the beer pitchers knocked over. <laughs> Wasn't there some guy outside... <laughs> Wasn't there some guy outside trying to sell his Polka records uh, at like 2 a.m.? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh and, and remember we were in the parking garage and there was like that fake, like, there was somebody walking around with like an ATM machine, like, you know, with one yeah, of those Yeah, Jake like, fell for it. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't... <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, 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 you fell for the scam right there. That was... <laughs> that, was a, that was a crazy night. 
There, there were, yeah, uh, just there, like paint so, a picture of it. Oshawa is almost like the Detroit of Canada or yeah, Ontario. Yeah. Yeah. Someone had a fake ATM. Uh, well, not an ATM, a card reader. Sorry, I misspoke. A debit, uh, like a debit card. A card machine. reader, and mm-hmm. it was a card reader, and they were walking around the parking garage, claiming to be uh, taking payment for the uh, the cars that were in there, uh, even though it was a free parking <laughs> night. Oh, yeah, God. yeah. You fell for that? Yeah, I did. I mean, I guess I was kind of on the spot. I should have. I realized the clues were there. Like, wait a minute. There's no gate stopping me from driving through. And the sign says free after six or something like that. I, yeah, I didn't was, see the sign, so there, yeah. <laughs> okay. I no, was. You know, the only thing. The only thing I remember about the end of that, sh- like that show, pissed me off so much that like you guys had a hotel room right beside. Like I could have easily crashed there, and it was like three or four a.m. and it's like at least an hour drive home. And it's like, oh, you want to stay the night? And I said, I said, fuck no. And I burnt rubber and got the fuck out of there. <laughs> I was so pissed the fuck off. Oh man. Well, hey, listen, Jake. It, it, Jake, it's okay. Everybody has a Wait, side. I think we're moment. derailing this. <laughs> no, no. This is this is what we want. Like, yeah, that's like, interview. Content. Obviously, there's. Yeah. Well, so I, I am curious um, about the logistics of playing this stuff live because you're talking about you know uh, playing Patria. Uh, are you guys ever? Uh, do you guys ever play Ascent of Kings, the longer instrumental? Oh yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. So, yeah. so when you guys are designing a set, I mean, just in my experience, like uh, you know, you guys have a little bit more weight behind you than any of the bands that I play in. But it, in a lot of cases, I'm just playing like half hour sets here and there. Are you guys just only playing when you have the opportunity to play for like nearly an hour? Because no. th- yep. the idea of doing a 12-minute instrumental in a half-hour set just—that's <laughs> that sounds rough. But well, what, well, what is actually, the live situation like? Okay, so actually, this is funny because this—I uh, uh, can answer this question in a broader sense by also including Into Oblivion. When Into Oblivion first started playing live, I mean, you know the length of our songs—they've always been long. And I remember, yeah, we've had shows where we literally played two songs. <laughs> because, because we had like a half hour set and it's like okay we get to play Dawn's Conquest and Creation of a Monolith and that's it you know that's the entire set uh, so that has definitely happened before but at this point like we're very often booking our own shows or working with other guys that uh, that you know like we're friends with so we always make sure that we have enough time to uh, play live uh, you know we're always playing like 40 minute to an hour sets uh, so definitely mm. half hour is like out of the question. Like unless, you know, unless some really big band came through Toronto and we got to open for them and they're like, oh, you can only play a half hour set. So in that case, yeah, we choose shorter songs. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, when we did the last one, yeah, we played Ascent of Kings live. Uh, we actually stood there while the, <laughs> I, I was not, a fan. yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Everybody remembers this. Okay. Here we go. So, here we go. Oh, so like, so bear, bear airing was, of grievances. Yes, area of grievances. Uh, Baron was insistent that like uh, we should play the album recorded versions of all the intros and uh, all the instrumental parts that uh, we couldn't play live. So like the the uh, vocal intro in Samaria, the acoustic part in Patria, that kind of stuff. And I, I, I was not a fan of this. I'm just like, dude, why don't we just put like a CD player on stage and play that the whole time and just like drink <laughs> instead. You know, it's like, it's like that I, I would have been it, great. Yes, it would have been great. Uh, so, anyways, this really bothered me, but it didn't seem to bother anybody else. Uh, so, anyways, uh, 
we we just ended up standing there in between songs sometimes while the album played the uh, intro to various songs. Uh, so yeah, that's one of the few times that we'd have like a full arrangement on things like that because otherwise we just kind of have to wing it. You know, we can't have uh, you know it's it's a little more difficult to get a violinist or a cello player on stage for some of the things that we're doing and well. I don't have four arms and I can't play two guitars at the same time. Not yet. <laughs> well, not with that attitude, you can't. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I remember, um, actually, I remember the first time you guys played um, Ascent of Kings, the instrumental. Um, it was, I forget the, what the venue was. And we had been playing, and I had, I had mic issues for the entire time, as always, because I'm an idiot with a mic. So I'm pulling chords out and things are happening. And uh, I, uh, they're, they're, they're like, oh, we're going to play this song. It's an instrumental. So I left the stage. And the sound guy came over to me and was like, I'm really sorry, man. Is everything okay? Why'd you leave the stage in a big huff and puff? I'm like, I didn't leave the stage in a huff and puff. He's like, what are you talking about? You're supposed to be up there singing. I'm like, no, no, this is an instrumental. And I'm going to sit here and just drink my beer and hang out with the crowd. But I remember thinking that was really funny. <laughs> I, was, I was so mad at him. <laughs> So Kevin's demand also in terms of logistics. Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. I was going to say Kevin's demand for the next album is going to be more instrumentals because uh, <laughs> <laughs> he gets more beer breaks. <laughs> just just work his way out of the band, you know, completely. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, go on about what uh, so, uh, yes. Yeah, another like logistical question. Just you know, as a person that plays relatively frequently. Um, how much of a challenge is it to keep songs of that scale tight and on track for a live environment? Um, because, I, you know, I'm typically playing kind of standard metal length songs, you know, four to, you know, seven, maybe eight minutes for a long one. Um, and making sure everyone is really tight on an eight minute song can be kind of a challenge. You know, once you start ballooning to 15 to 20 minutes, um, how much of a concerted effort is it to keep practicing and keep that keep that material really tight? Uh, you know, because I, I just think that in any given practice, if you're doing Turin Bar, is it a matter of just getting to play the song front to back a few times, or is it more just touching up certain movements of it as needed? Okay, good, good question. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let uh, Jake and Brandon, uh, you know, add their input after this because, you know, they've had to learn all this stuff. Uh, and the thing is that uh, for me, it's just, well, you know, I know how the song's supposed to go. I know how the song's supposed to go because I've written it. But I feel like for me, it's just kind of like one riff naturally flows into the other one. And if you remember everything properly, then, then you remember how to play the song. You just play it that way live. <laughs> uh, now, the thing is that, uh, the thing is, yeah, sometimes, uh, well, you know, if, especially when, when we're doing new material and we're practicing in the space, you know, we'll have to have moments where, oh, we forgot where we, you know, we forgot where we were and then we need to go back and then I remind everybody what the riff and the order is or whatever. Um, and we just kind of go from there. And once we've done that enough times, I think the other guys will attest to the fact is you just remember it. You remember it because if I start with this riff, this riff goes into that riff, that riff goes into that riff. It's it's amazing. Sometimes we'll have, we will have not played forever, and the muscle memory just kicks in. It, it just kicks in like regardless, haven't listened to it, haven't played it in forever, and it's just like it, it's like a completely like involuntary automatic reaction. 
Uh, and, and the thing is live, I mean, you know, we, listen, these are long songs, they're technically demanding. To be honest, we probably make some mistakes along the way. In fact, I think more often than not we do. But the thing is, there's something about the energy and the presence uh, of what we're doing at that time that like in the live setting, it just completely overshadows any technical errors that we have. Yeah, it's funny. I just think, it sounds like, like you could have just been talking about writing a punk song. <laughs> hey, man, listen, we, we came from that back. We came from that background on a certain level, right? You know, like uh, we we all. Well, I mean, not Kevin so much, but uh, you know, Jake and Brandon and I and Andre and Into Oblivion, we were all listening to like you know a bunch of punk and hardcore and all of that. You know, that's really the background we like came. AFI. From. No. I, oh, oh, AFI. <laughs> oh, here we go. No, I, I know you guys as a, a maximalist uh, long hair band have always had an appreciation for more sort of like minimalist short hair stuff, which I always li liked about you guys. You know, the Iljard references and whatnot. Hmm. But, um, but yeah, it, the funny thing is you just described playing like Titanic, like five-part harmony, 15-minute songs in exactly the same way I would describe like trying to remember how to play Where Eagles Dare. Um, you know, uh, but, but, but anyway, so someone else was going to say something. Um, yeah, no, I think also part of it is just like, we've been playing together for so long. Just like, I mean, for years we were playing, like we were practicing every single, every single week on Friday for, you know, for years. And I think there's just such a connection at, like at a point where, yeah, like the muscle memory kicks in too. But I think we also just like, we have cues we pick up off each other, like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Roman and Jake can both like confirm that there's like little little things we'll pick up while we're playing that like immediately like oh here comes that part or like or like oh we're gonna change right here and this and that like where it's like just a it's just that connection of just being really really tight by knowing each other at this point I think yeah the, yeah 100 percent um, they can already they get into it where I'm going in a song Jake already even knows like what kind of drum parts to do before I even tell him at this point. Yeah, I've learned uh, Roman's pattern of songwriting now. I could predict <laughs> how long a new riff will persist for, when a change will happen, but I'll probably forget and rely on Roman to remind me when there's new songs being written. I'm sure he gets frustrated repeating some uh, <laughs> riff sections in a loop until I memorize it. I think that would be one thing to stress is that, like, we talked about this in the last interview too, but... Uh, in a sense, Cromlech might be one of the best rehearsed bands ever because you guys have such solid friendships and have been playing together for so long and because you were just in the shed perfecting the Ascent of King stuff for so long. So, like, it kind of makes sense that you can just remember the songs. Yeah, and uh, like Brandon alluded to, and just to stress further, I mean, it's not happening as much now because, as Roman said at the beginning, some of us have families and it's harder to get us all together, but... Mm -hmm. Um, like when Ascent of Kings was when the songs on that album were being written when we were preparing for recording when we were preparing for the live show we religiously practiced every Friday or like one every week uh, usually on a Friday um, and every week we would just on that one practice go through the full album from beginning to end not take any breaks maybe take a 5 to 20 minute break and like have a beer hang out and then um, sometimes play it a second time damn <laughs> yeah it's like oh dude we would be and especially that place in winter it's okay but uh, in summer you're you're sweating man 
Or at least I am. <laughs> no, that's just you, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's just me. I know. <laughs> that's why you got to do the whole thing in the um, impetuous ritual diapers. Impetuous <laughs> <just>, what? <laughs> they, they, they wear loincloths on stage. So, oh, yeah. right. Okay, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No shirts, no masters. Okay, cool. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right on. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, there's like there's really something to be said. I think we've said this time time and time again before. Uh, this band has always been in its prior incarnation and its current incarnation. It's always been a brotherhood, uh, and so that really lends itself to the chemistry that we have. Like you know, I was I was friends with Kevin for you know a good couple of years before he joined Crawlock. Uh, yeah. You know, it's uh, you know same kind of same kind of deal with anybody that's been in the band. Like you know, Jake Brennan and Andre and I, we've known each other since high school. You know, over half our lives at this point. Yeah. It's, uh, so so w- with that in mind, let's um, now that we've covered Ascent of Kings pretty well, let's pivot over to Mormagill and the future. May um, I for a second? And I guess... What was that? There's one more grievance that I'd All like right. to discuss. <laughs> okay. You knew it was coming. Yeah. <coughs> so, the vocals. Mm. I I'm like curious. the vibrato. All right. So I'm just I. This, I, this is I'm, I'm throwing the black metal guy under the bus. He has to deal with this. One. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, ready. I'm not mad. I'm. It's. I've listened to your take on the album in Iron Guard, and I do think it's really interesting because. From what I gather, you seem to think that um, I do it on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. He does. I don't. He I does. Actually don't. I don't. Actually, he actually does. So, go ahead, Roman. I said there, you had a deliberate effort to tone your vibrato down on this album. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't, I don't know. I actually don't know what happened between Ave Mortis uh, and later recordings, I had taken singing lessons with a trained opera singer. Mm. Um, I'm so I think sometimes that might be where the excessive vibrato comes in. Uh, and it is funny because I remember after we played in Malta, um, it had been recorded, and the first time we listened to it we all agreed to, as a band that I had too much vibrato on my voice. And uh, since that time, I haven't been able to take that vibrato off. I don't know why. Um, I think it's partly because of some of the training I had done. Mm-hmm. And when I push really hard, like I tr- I could take a different technique. Like I think you had said in the review, like you want me to declaim uh, more than sing sometimes. Oh, oh, I think I've you, taken that approach. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. But I don't no. think that uh, that it, it's effective. And I think Roman and Baron were really pushing. Push as hard as you can. And for whatever reason, that vibrato just comes out. I don't know why. But it's not It's not feigned. It's not, okay, I'm going to do this for, for effect or to have this aesthetic on my voice that's like different from something else that has been produced before. It just It just came out and... That's why I just sing like that, <laughs> for good or for bad. You're you're possessed by a god, and he demands he demands the vocals, <laughs> the vibrato, right? Yeah, apparently. <laughs> yeah, the, the um, 
Ah, uh, that's okay. That makes sense. And based on like, so it really so basically, uh, you know, like in certain contexts, right? Like you could see constant vibrato as an affectation yeah. or something. There's a very famous. Yeah. There's a really great review of the arcade fire where the guy's like, "Why won't the guy ever stop doing vibrato?" Right? It's supposed to be right. peak emotion, but he just does it. He just does it all the time. But of course, the guy from the arcade fire isn't actually pushing his voice to the limits. And in this case, it sounds like Kevin's vibrato comes out because you guys have always been pushing him to go as hard as he possibly can. And for whatever reason, it's just in, innate to his style. Which, fair enough. Yeah. It's, yeah, that's um, interesting. I think I've been like... I, I think the vibrato is making more sense to me over time. I think sometimes it does weird <laughs> things to... I think it does weird things to the pitch in relation to the mm-hmm. guitars sometimes because there's I've so heard much that going. Before, yeah, yeah, because there's so much going on in the guitars under it that like, yeah. even if the center of your vibrato is on center, it yeah. it interacts weirdly with the other layers. However, I mean, I sort of pitched this idea to them in the last interview. There is a kind of natural harshness and weirdness to it, and it's like mm-hmm. maybe the problem is me. Maybe this is just a new way of doing it, and I need to wrap my head around it. That's right. You know. The problem is you. Yeah, yeah. The problem could be <laughs> it's, um, the uh, like. It's it's um, it, it's a it is a cool unique unique thing, and uh, I think when I listen to the record, I mean, the death metal guy also stressed how much strain your voice was under when oh, we yeah. were reviewing it, 100%. and he knows better than me because you know I can do some vocals or whatever. I've, I've done vocals in bands. A little bit, but um, you know, he's used to recording and he's done a stuff with a lot of different people, and he could really tell that the whole point was that the strain your voice was under. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, <so>, Roman. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, regarding Mormagill, I guess you know the the obvious question to ask is. What now? Because it, it, it's got to be a weird spot for a band that's coming off um, this this huge thing that's just so epic in scope and so defining for a band. Um, what do you guys feel the natural move is here to do something that's maybe a little bit more understated and straightforward or to try to top the last one? Is it like a, a perpetual escalation or are you guys trying to make a little more contrast? Well, uh, I, I can speak from uh, my perspective, which is just essentially that whether I was doing into Oblivion or Cromlech or the uh, much-mentioned but never yet released uh, Dungeon Synth project that I got with uh, uh, with another friend of mine, Kevin, uh, who's also I started Kevin. that. Yes, he did start that. He did start <laughs> that, and I originally didn't have time for it, uh, but then I joined it and took it and over. Took and took it from me. Yes, and now Kevin's no longer in that. Uh, so that, that's called that, that's called Mental Tarma, by the way. I'm sure I've mentioned that before. Uh, me and the other Kevin are working on that. That's going to come out hopefully sometime soon. We're pretty uh, made some good progress on that. But uh, three of those I, songs are mine. <laughs> I know. We've had to. Like, I named the band. Here. We, we had to backwards engineer all the recordings that we did to try to figure out what the heck you were playing. That's crazy. <laughs> it was painstaking. Thank <laughs> it you. It hurts. <laughs> he finally put me through the same pain I put him through. Mm. Uh, but, uh, uh, but anyways, uh, I, I guess 
you know, with respect to the the form that each band takes, we're always trying to push boundaries in each one. Uh, so, War McGill is going to continue the legacy in the spirit of Cromlock. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's funny, it kind of links back to earlier where we talked about the intentional, or, you know, the supposed intentional difficulty of Cromlock, which is really just the accidental and one might say essential inten- right. uh, inherent difficulty of Cromlock. Um, the thing is that I, I remember we did this one review, uh, sorry, interview with uh, uh, a blog called Metal Squadron back in like 2013, 2014. And we were trying to be total, like, 90s black metal dicks while we were answering the all the questions. We were trying to give, like, really short answers and, like, non-answers and uh, and all that. <laughs> and, uh, and and so the first time we gave it to him, he's just like, listen, you got to give us, like, more answers than, <laughs> than the first time around. you gotta, you, you got to pad this out a little bit. Uh, and, so, uh, and so I remember, um, basically, he was talking about the length of the songs, and the response we had to him is that uh, Cromlech is a series of battles that the uh, listener has to endure through. Uh, and that, that, will, that will essentially <laughs> always remain the case with a lot of our music, not because I'm trying to make it intentionally difficult, but because that's just the spirit of the band. Like, you know, it's a battle for us to play it. Kevin always said that the closest thing to him going into battle was uh, going on stage with us. So uh, we're just trying to bring that experience to the listener, and that will definitely continue in more Mormonkill. All right. So how do you intend to... I mean, going back to part of what the death metal guy said, is then is the way is the way forward to uh, make the battle even more intense? Or do you plan roughly writing songs in a similar vein to the Son of Kings? Well, essentially what it comes down to is that, uh, you know, every song, as I said before, has a concept that I'm trying to achieve beforehand. And the song just kind of writes to fit that. So I'm not really thinking about it in terms of in terms of the level of intensity. It will just come out the way that it does. But mm-hmm. I'm going to try to push boundaries in the, in the sense of, like, expressing things to the fullest possible way I can express them. Mm-hmm. That's that's really what the, what the thing is at the end of the day. Uh, one thing... Kevin, if you uh, if if you remember you saying this when uh, when we restarted after after Baron left was that the it's kind of like it, it speaks to what you were talking about before about starting a new project after this huge like you know legacy of another one behind it. It's an ex- for him anyways. It was it was an exciting thing to found a band because like yeah. we we'd already like done that, but you know for Kevin like this is the first time he's ever been a founding member. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> And I would say even uh, in terms of uh, lyrics, nothing's really changed. Uh, I've written lyrics for the for one one song already, and drawing on the same sources of inspiration, um, I don't see much change in the way I approach anything lyrically. Um, I mean, I'll definitely draw on a lot of Guns N' Roses influences. Dee Havoc's been a real inspiration for me. Some of those oh, yeah. sorrow lyrics. Oh, yeah, yeah, Davey Havoc. You know, talking about those those bangers, you know, those one-line bangers that like, really <laughs> get me going, get the lyrics started for me. Anything from Sing the Sorrow or On. I'm going to make we've, sure. We've, we've all been listening to Black Sails in the Sunset on repeat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was so happy to hear that, dude. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, okay so let, let's let's get into a little bit of backstory about that 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 whole joke right there. So uh, I remember, well, joke uh, ha, implying, uh, but uh, I remember year, years back, years back, Kevin and I tried to sit down and like. Kevin, how did we find out that we'd both listened to the AFI back then? I have no idea. It was one okay. of those moments. You have a few drinks. You're like, I used to listen to this. Did you? And Roman was like, yeah, I did too. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> were, you guys, were, you, were you guys in a hot tub when you had this conversation? Or? Yes. Might have been in, we might have been in a sauna, actually, for all I know. We probably so. were. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, no. Kev, Kev, Kevin hates saunas. He, he hates the concept of just sitting there and sweating. It's um, actually stupid. But, <laughs> but, but being uh, naked, that's different. Yes, exactly. Uh, but regardless, yeah, so like uh, it just came up one day and like, you know, when I was when I was in early high school, uh, it was funny how it worked for me because a lot of my uh, introduction to a lot of like uh, punk and metal and stuff like that was uh, was one of my uncles who, you know, was like a Gen Xer and uh, you know he played in bands and he made me a couple like mix CDs and stuff like that and that's how I got into the Misfits when I was like thirteen or fourteen mm. or so. Uh, and I remember I got into I, I got into AFI in high school because I wanted to hear more stuff that sounded like the Misfits and like you know Black Sales in that era was kind of like the the horror punk kind of stuff. Uh, and I used to I used to really like that. And then we, at some point, like Kevin and I both realized, oh yeah, we used to both listen to AFI back in the day. And uh, we, we sat down like back in like 2014, 2015 in the band space trying to listen to it again. We just couldn't. <laughs> we just like, it was, uh, we, we just like, we just had a viscerally negative reaction to uh, Davey Havoc's vocals. But then for some reason, it came back after Baron left the band. It was, uh, <laughs> it was weird. It was, it was a really weird timing kind of thing. And then all the yeah, they, was... they both threw devil locks. It was terrible, man. Well, the devil lock, <laughs> devil lock, is, the devil lock is the one hairstyle you can still do when you have male pattern baldness because he just, mm. just goes from the back of the head, right? So. <laughs> the widow's peak is an asset. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's... We're we'll Norwood Zero over here. <laughs> Norwood Zero. <laughs> I'll also add that I remember that listening session. Correct me if I'm wrong, Roman. We actually we pivoted to Krieg at one point, and we listened to the live Krieg album, and we we're like, "Wow, we can actually hear what's happening in this record." Early Krieg, anyways, but I'm, I'm fairly certain that was the same listening session. <laughs> so, w w part of where this joke uh, crosses over is that, uh, you know, if you, uh, it, you know, obviously, you know, being into being into black metal, you know, there's always some crossover where because of the legacy of absurd and ill and other bands like that uh you get a familiarity with uh, with rac and the thing is like a lot of rac ends up sounding like pop punk at the end of the day which is really funny due to like common roots and like way yeah. or whatever and so <laughs> the thing is like we we've gone through these like you know there there are like distinct like different types of RAC bands that sound like different pop punk bands. Like some of them sound like Blink-182. Some of them sound like The Offspring, surprisingly. Some of them sound like, it, it's like the, the, you just go through the whole list and then like well we realize that some of them just sound like AFI. Damn, I gotta hear those. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Which is, uh, so I mean that, that kind of like spur, spurred the song because we just thought this was like a hilarious concept. I was listening to some song and I'm like, this is literally just an AFI song from uh, from uh, Art of Drowning, <laughs> except it has mm. like you know, you know, some rough German vocals uh, over the top. I, I I found an Art of Drowning riff in something the death metal guy had written. 
No way. <laughs> yeah, I yes, and he had not heard it. Yes. Uh, yeah, I I did not come up with AFI. I've I've grown to appreciate a lot of the uh, sort of emo adjacent stuff that was popular in high school, but I didn't listen to any of it uh, back then. So uh, there's been a, a lot of occasions now where I've accidentally written, you know, AFI or even like far far worse stuff than that. <laughs> accidentally. Oh man! Uh, well, just... well, no, d- deliberately. But I thought it was Bill Skernier at the time. You thought it was Bill Skernier in the dark. Right? Dude, Bill yeah. Skernier has like yeah, so much crossover. Much. That stuff it's hilarious. You know, it's like yeah. uh, it, it's funny how that stuff ends up. Man, it's it's a shame we don't have Andre on here because that guy was an emo kid back in high school. So, <laughs> mm. <laughs> who? Aviriato, oh, sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, um, but but in term, in more concrete terms, um, mm. are there specific musical ideas that you're looking to expand on in McGill that maybe you didn't have the opportunity to yet in Cromlech? I mean, is it a matter of uh, there's technical boundaries you want to push or songwriting techniques you haven't gotten around to yet? Um, what in in a more granular sense, what do you guys want to tackle? I don't really think about writing songs in terms of the techniques, to be honest. Like uh, it's, okay. it's usually just like I have I have a feel beforehand, and you know I, I, I fill in after you know I fill in the blanks on, on the feel that I have after that essentially. Uh, but like you know sometimes like you know I, I will use you know certain technique stuff because I think it's cool. Like for example, uh, the the title track for the next one. Which, if uh, I'll tell you, black metal guy, if you if you weren't a fan of the of uh, Ascent of Kings, man, this is just like the title track on this one's like a, just like a fifteen minute version of Born with Sword in Hand on a certain level. <laughs> nice, like, nice. It's like it's like, t- it's like <laughs> twice twice as long and like actually surprisingly keeps the intensity up more or less the whole way through. Uh, that one, I actually, I, I I I've been putting like a lot of like wood temple into into that one right there i guess like that 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 influence kind of came out right there uh i always really like voices from pagan mountains and uh you know kevin turned me on to what what was the 2014 one forgotten pride that that one uh so like uh that's kind of coming in is wood temple the sort of gravelandy band that yes yes is this the one that briefly had rob darkin in it or something yes yeah, there was yeah there was some crossover between the two of them. It's basically the Austrian knockoff of uh, Graveland, but it's like it's more than that because whereas Graveland very much emphasized the martial aspects, uh, Wood Temple expands a lot more along the uh, the atmospheric aspects mm-hmm. of Graveland. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's I don't know. I just been like I've been listening to a lot of Wood Temple, a lot of Infamous. I've actually I've gone back and listened to uh, Troubles the Skull a lot. Uh, so that, that that's that that's been a solid one for me lately, uh, but you know all, all that stuff's coming out. Like you know the thing with like your uh, thing with songwriting is always just that uh, you've internalized so much stuff over all the time that you've listened to music that sometimes you can only discern where an influence comes after the fact. Mm-hmm. Like Queen. Yeah, like exactly right. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> let, let me finish. Uh, let me finish uh, the thought. Though. Okay. Okay. Uh, because uh, the 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 closer of this album, I've already got the finale written for it, and I'm try. 
I guess, more or less, I had this idea of... No, I wasn't trying to outdo Turambar, but on a certain level, I was. Uh, so <laughs> it's like it's it's, it's 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 I was trying to create something emotionally crushing uh, and just heart wrenching, and uh, that's it, well, generally the barometer that I had for that was the finale of Turambar. So I was trying to exceed that. So uh, the outro of the next album is supposed to exceed that. <laughs> 